You are listening to Taking Up Space. CFUV 101.9 FM's intersectional feminist podcast, broadcasting from Victoria. We acknowledge with respect the Lekwungen and Sanchothan-speaking peoples on whose traditional territory this podcast was produced, and the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Wasanage peoples whose historical relationships with the land continue to this day. I just want to let everyone listening know that today's episode deals with matters of abuse and might be triggering for some. If that's the case, then mental health comes first, so if you feel overwhelmed at any time, please feel free to take a break from this episode. Now, let me sum up the kernel of today's episode. It is a story of the problems faced with challenging certain behaviors tied to age-old institutions, especially when those accepted behaviors lead to abuse, which is a lot to unpack in one sentence, I know. So before I jump into that, I want to ask you a question. What is something that you saw or experienced as a child that made you fall in love? Give you a second to think about it. Now, the reason I'm asking you this is not to give you homework, but I feel like a lot of people have that moment as a child, you know? That thing yeah, where you it's sort of you see it for the first time, and you're like, what is this magic? I have to do this. It looks so effortless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Sarah Doucette. Uh, my name is Sarah Doucette. I am a former dancer, choreographer, rehearsal director, costume designer, paid in the ass. Perfect. Sarah Doucette was a dancer in the Royal Winnipeg Ballet's general division from 1981 to 1991. And I pose this question to her, too, in regards to the beginning of her ballet career. Um, I moved to Winnipeg when I was from Halifax when I was nine or ten and uh, saw the Nutcracker for the first time and was completely gobsmacked and hooked. Um, I don't think I'd ever seen anything quite so beautiful or magical. which I feel like is a dream that is shared by a lot of kids. You know, you go to the theater and you see this huge production and these beautiful humans. And for that young of age, for something to make that big of an impression that it stays with you right down to the detail, like Sarah even mentioned the sound of it was the also It was also the sound of the, of the ballerina's shoes on the floor, even though they were so light and beautiful, I could still hear their, their toes when they hit the floor. And I was, I, it was, a, it was an equation, a mathematical equation that I needed to figure out. That was it. It was a very sort of standard little girl dream that I saw the ballet and just had to do that. Um, and it wasn't long after that, maybe a year or two, I was in another school in Winnipeg and then switched over to the RWB on my mom's suggestion that if I was going to dance seriously, that that's where I needed to go. So that's what I did. So, Sarah Doucette enrolled in the Royal Winnipeg Ballet's General Division. And as we are about to find out, like many others, that beautiful dream and love for ballet was eroded over time to reveal a very different picture.
Taking Up Space is produced in Victoria, BC. And anybody from this province, especially around my age, early 20s, knows the name Amanda Todd. In October of 2012, Amanda Todd, a teenager from Port Coquitlam, was coerced into taking topless photos on the internet. The photos spread, and as a result of the cyberbullying, she took her own life. Her case was widely spread, um, and as I mentioned, it rocked the entire province, even the entirety of Canada. CTV News at 5 with Hudson Mack. We begin tonight with a cry for help, heard around the world, but heard too late. The RCMP have been inundated with tips in their investigation into the death of Amanda Todd. At the time when this story was being broadcast on the news, a woman who had saw that case was prompted to revisit an interaction that she had many, many years ago when she was a teenager, one of the same nature. Wednesday, after posting a video on YouTube about the constant harassment and bullying she endured, police in Holland have arrested an unnamed 35-year-old man who is now facing nine criminal charges, including producing child pornography and extortion. This prompted her to consult a lawyer and then in December of that year to go to the police with another classmate. This action snowballed as many women started to connect the dots that they too had had a similar experience. One of those women being Sarah Doucette. You know, I this this all came to me through uh, some. Uh, there was a Facebook post, and I made a comment about a certain teacher at the RWB who had a had a whatever, um, like to take photographs of young girls. And somebody contacted me privately, private messaged me, and said, "You know, this is who I am, and I know who you're talking about. And this happened to me, and some other women, and, and we've been trying to get this." Um, into the public sphere and to get him um, investigated, et cetera. Would you mind talking to the cops? That's how the whole thing started. And I said, yep, if I can, if what I have to say and what happened will, will have any bearing on this case, then absolutely. And it was, you know, it was, it started there. The teacher whose name was circulating in these Facebook posts was Bruce Monk. Bruce Monk started as a dancer in the Royal Winnipeg Ballet from 1984 to 1987, and in 1987 became a teacher, choreographer, as well as held a side business of doing photo shoots for the dancers. The shared experience that these women had revolved around those photo shoots that he conducted. These women discussed being coerced, groomed, and pressured into undressing and having nude or semi-nude photos taken of them, many of them being under 18 or had just turned 18, making this content child pornography. So Sarah gave her statement to the police in November of 2014. We, the five or seven of us that sort of started this whole thing, um, did what we could with the cops. We all went and gave, you know, statements to the, to the police. And um, during that time, I, we discovered that he had been selling them online. We didn't know this at the time, that he had been selling them online. Um, and so, you know, it, it just, it just started, we just started to realize how sort of deep and insidious it really was and how, how, how deep that, that this stuff spread. And what today's episode is really about is that that insidious nature is not only in what he allegedly did, using his position of power as a teacher to groom and coerce underage girls into child pornography, and then furthermore selling those photos online, but that he was allowed to do it for 30 years. 
And to answer the question of how that even happened, we have to rewind back to the 1980s, when Sarah Doucette was a student in the Royal Winnipeg Ballet's General Division. I'm from a family of six. Um, I'm the oldest, so by the time I was 15, there were five other kids in the house um, that needed a lot of attention. I spent a lot of time picking kids up from daycare and getting them home from school and getting them snacks and doing all that before I went to my classes. I was in uh, the general division. Um, so at the Royal Winnipeg, there's two divisions. There's a professional division where you audition and you get in and you become part of the school. Um, and you are, it's a seven year program at which you graduate and then with the hopes of going into, into the company or whatever. I did that in the summers for a couple of years, but really I was in general division. Um, I loved jazz. I loved contemporary. I loved the ballet, but I wasn't, um, I was told I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't dedicated enough to sort of stay in the program. So I kept trying, but uh, it didn't it didn't really work out for me because the building was set up the way it was. The, the professional division and the company were upstairs and we were down on the second floor or yeah. Um, and so we could see all the comings and goings. We could see Evelyn Hart. We could see all the professionals. We could see the students in the school. So we were, we knew who, everybody was right if you paid attention you 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 knew I mean I had seasons tickets like I went to every ballet I stayed around and got autographs I cut out every photo I could my room was plastered in in all the ballet people like I was I was yeah it was it was my life I loved it so I just in regards to the school being such a tight-knit community I asked Sarah if by this point the students knew that Bruce Monk had built up this reputation for himself for the students to stay away. You know, I would just sort of see him around the building and knew that he was there and knew that he was one of the staff and knew that he took pictures and um, until I had my turn with him. Um, I, you know, of course we'd heard mutterings and, and stuff like that around the school as you do in any institution where there's stuff like this. Um, so I was aware of it, but I, I didn't, I didn't see it all that much because again, I wasn't in the professional division. It was only years later that it became clear to me that this was, um, a pattern. In the general division where I was, it was, it was, I mean, I loved it. Like I was there, I was doing classes every night. I, that was my life was dance. Um, the, the environment that I was in, specifically in the general division, my teachers were wonderful. I had really great teachers. I had great, really caring teachers. I, I, I loved it. Um, so, so I don't know. I mean, again, my, my, you know, I knew, I knew a lot of, I knew some of the male dancers who I am still friends with to this date. Um, I knew them then, and there was, I, I mean, specifically, I can't say, but there were always whispers. You know, be careful, or. Oh, you know, it was just, it's, it's, I can't give you a specific nugget from where this all came from, but it was just, you know, you, you know, it's like being in school and you hear whispers of, oh, this teacher's a pervert or this teacher's that. That's the kind of stuff we heard. I knew that, I mean, you know, that the, the, the institution of ballet is one that requires absolute dedication and, um, you know, you become you become a tool for 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 those people. You become you become an object for which they try and mold you into what their idea of the of the perfect dancer is. So you know, we all 
understood that there was pressure and and you know I understood I understood that there was a level of demand up on that floor that didn't exist in my world necessarily apart from what I put on myself did you when you were maybe considering going professional and sort of um shifting even because I at that age I mean I thought about it too um did you, for whatever reason, think that you sort of had to take on that obedience that comes with the role? Were you comfortable with it? Did it um, make you uncomfortable or was it just part of the package, like you said? Well, I was I mean, I was I was never really comfortable with authority. Um, I was never good at it. I never really understood. I mean, I didn't come from a from a world where you just obey and you just do what everybody says. You know, there was discussion and. I'm the oldest of six, so there's a lot of compromise. There's a lot of, you know, I understood sort of as much as one could at a young age how to sort of negotiate that kind of stuff. But I was driven. I mean, it was dance was all I ever wanted to do. It was the only thing that I ever wanted to do. It's, it's sort of interesting because it's the, that would be your world, I guess. So it's just someone in it, um, someone moving throughout it. Like, like you said, almost like a high school. It's even if you hear things here or there, um, you still interact with that person regardless. Um, I mean, of course. And, you know, one of the lawyers kind of made it like, well, if you knew, why did you, why did you go and why did you do that? Well, you know, do you want to go back and ask the 15-year-old me or the 17-year-old me? Why? Why? I needed headshots. He was by. He was, you know, he, he, it was, it was the world I wanted to be in. So what do you mean? Why? Like, it just happens. You know, and yeah, we do hear about these things, but do we take them seriously? I mean, and if we do, then what do we do? 17-year-old girl is going to say no to an institution like that, to her dreams? I didn't have enough gumption to know that. If I knew what I knew now, you're damn right. But I mean, I was young. I was impressionable. All I wanted to do was dance. Would you feel comfortable sort of going over that interaction with Bruce, or is that something you'd like to bypass? Whatever you remember Um, or not. Well, I mean, you know, I could I could tell you again. I mean, it's 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 been recorded. It's in magazines. It's you know, I went in for a headshot and he asked me to drop my bodysuit straps because they were in the way, um, which I understood because I had seen, you know, lots of headshots of dancers in the programs at the at the ballet. So I understood. Um, But then he just very systematically, very gently very kindly but very insistently asked me to remove my top until it was around my waist and when I covered my my chest with my arms he again very consistently and persistently but gently but insistently got me to drop my arms and then photographed me with my you know topless Um, I was never asked you know, I mean, this whole thing about consent, I was never once asked if I wanted to do this, if I was okay doing this, if I never, there was never, those words were never uttered to me. What did I want to? I was just suddenly standing in front of this man in this room with the door closed with no shirt on and a camera. You know? Yeah. It's a lot for a little girl. It's a lot for a little girl to take in. No, I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you. I that that tone that you're talking yeah. about is so interesting though that it was kind and gentle but it was persistent insistent almost robotic is what i'm sort yeah. of picking up like like rehearsed well you know when i after after you know the years that i've spent on this case and talking to people and stuff that's the one thing that 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 has remained consistent is is his tone 
Um, and, you know, it's very common knowledge now that when, you know, as we look around at, at, at different um, scenarios in which young kids have been abused and assaulted in this way, that that's often what happens is the tone, it's, it's perfecting, right? He had 30 years at the ballet to perfect this. Perfect his tone, perfect his, how does he get it out of us? How does he, I mean, you know, he had carte blanche. So, I mean, we were all his case studies in a way, you know. And Sarah makes a really excellent point in the fact that even if you do take those rumors seriously, what steps can you take at that young of an age to protect yourself? What autonomy do you have? The next dancer that we're about to talk to was in the professional division around the same time as Sarah and took those rumors seriously, tried to take the steps to protect herself, and unfortunately still has a story to tell. Here's Serena. Um, so my name is Serena McCarroll. I'm 44. Uh, I went to art school, um, but right now I work um, as far as my day job, I work for a small press that publishes graphic novels and then um, I'm working on a documentary and I've done a lot of photo-based work in the past. So that's me. Awesome. That sounds really cool, by the way. <laughs> graphic novels. <laughs> it's okay. It's not the most stable life in the world, but yeah, yeah it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like for me, I mean, this all started with me because my circumstances seemed a bit different than others for a few reasons so I like I was an extremely shy kid extremely and I didn't really like Bruce all that much he was really chummy with a lot of students but um I was a bit wary of him I specifically asked my mother to come with me when we set up this photo shoot which I I needed I'd just been kicked out of the school And this is a point that showed up in a lot of the cases, even though we couldn't speak about them in this episode. The fact that Bruce Monk would allegedly target people who were on the fritz with the school, people who had just been kicked out or maybe weren't in the best position, and offer them this service. In Serena's case, she was around 16 or 17 when she was told she would be asked to leave the school because of an injury that she had sustained. Bruce Monk extended his sympathies and offered to take headshots for her to prepare her for her future endeavors. Back then, it wasn't like everyone had cameras the way we do now. Uh, people still use film and like to get an 8x10 quality print that you'll use when you're auditioning is actually a big deal and something you can't really do on your own successfully. So when Bruce offered to do it for free, and I knew this was something he did. I felt like I had to take him up on it, but um, I didn't want to be, he specifically asked to do a headshot at his apartment. He had photographed me in at the school before, like in a studio setting, um, a dance studio setting. And uh, so I didn't want to go there alone. I asked my mom to take me and to stay. I didn't tell her why. I didn't tell her like, this isn't a teacher I like or trust. I just asked her to come with and uh so she was there but he separate he put a backdrop between us so she couldn't see what was happening but she could hear it was not that big of a room she could hear everything but she was engrossed in the stuff he gave her to read 
But then she finally did walk up to see what was happening at a point where he had very slowly with his, the thing he does, um, gotten me to lower my bodysuit because he kept saying I was ruining the line of my neck. And at that point, my bodysuit was down around my waist and I was covering myself with my arms and he was trying really hard to get me to drop my arms, which I wouldn't do. And then I walked up and he very quickly motioned for me to pull up my bodysuit because he knew what he was doing was wrong. And she saw that because she was so close. It took her like a second to walk up. So she could tell something wrong had happened, like something that a teacher situation that shouldn't have happened, but she was just shocked and didn't really know how to react. And he just covered up and acted like nothing was wrong. And I was terrified in that moment. And um, then the even weirder thing he did, which I, I don't think this is talked about as much, but he then asked her to leave and asked if he could drive me home. And she said, yeah, like she agreed and left me there. So that just shows how demented he is. I think she just was in shock at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry um, that that happened <laughs> to you. I it's, it's so interesting. I wonder um, what that like what the dynamic was between them that she agreed to do that um i know she says now i mean part i feel fine saying this but my mother's um bipolar mm. and so i think partly she was just overwhelmed and emotional like i i, I remember i didn't tell her that i didn't trust him because i thought it would upset her just knowing that so i i like, I was trying to protect her in a way. I didn't want her to be worried that something bad was happening. And I think when she realized something was, she just didn't know how to deal with it or process it. And, she, like, she was intimidated by him. Hmm. So we were both. She Like, she was intimidated by all of my teachers. It was a very intimidating place for parents as much as students. And... um Obviously, she doesn't, I mean, this is part of what lets the stuff happen in a place like a ballet school or in gymnastics where there's a lot of competition and no one wants to give up their spot. And parents don't want to jeopardize what's happening with their children. So, yeah, she like she just didn't want to handle it. And um, even though I had been kicked out of the school, you're, you're so conditioned to be afraid of these people and to do whatever, like she was almost as conditioned as I was to just do whatever they want, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, to make sure they're happy and that you don't do anything that would ruin things or whatever. So um, she did talk to him later. Like, my memory is that she called him and told him, basically said, if, if, if you want students to take their clothes off, you have to get their parents' permission if they're under 18. That's what she said to him. And he smooth-talked his way out of it. He's, he's very, <laughs> such a smooth-talker, it's ridiculous. Yeah, um, and I guess that's yeah. why the interaction between them is interesting, because I, I think that's where 
my first thought went was that maybe he was just super charming and she felt really comfortable leaving you there. But now that you mentioned that the parents are also intimidated by the instructors because they hold such power in that yeah, situation. It, it was definitely more that than that she liked him. I, I think she, she was just flustered and then just like went into the, that mode where you just do what you're told because she didn't understand really what was happening until I got home and we sort of processed it. Like I was devastated. I got home and just broke down. Um, and then she understood, like she, it was, it was just such a shocking thing for her to even, like, I remember in the moment being terrified about what she was doing, which makes my experience different than other. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who had like a witness in the room. So that demonstrates a lot of things for, for starters, it demonstrates how comfortable he was in what he was doing. Like he had clearly done this over and over and over again by the time he did it to me. And he kept doing it for decades after me. But for him to know what he was doing enough that he could do it with an adult in the room with an earshot is like, that's a predator with a well-rehearsed routine. Like I knew it instantly. I was like, oh my God, he did like, this is what he does to everyone. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then also she saw enough to be a witness so I don't think anyone has that. And then the thing that benefits me psychologically in that is that, like, I know something wrong happened because my mom walked up and saw that something wrong happened and Bruce ended what was happening because he knew he was doing something wrong. So it was really clear cut, whereas I know that other girls went in and it's such a slow process with him. You lose yourself and like what's happening and those girls, I know so many of them walked out and totally blamed themselves and didn't understand what had happened. And I felt like in a way that was less confusing for me, like it was definitely something wrong had happened. <laughs> like I didn't have to question that part of it. Yeah, definitely. And, that's, and, that's one of the and this demeanor that Serena's talking about, Sarah came up with such a strong analogy for it. She tied his predatory ways to the very thing that he was known for in the ballet school, which was his choreography. You know, much like choreography, the more you repeat it, the better you get, right? So, so the more you repeat these patterns, these, these, you know, well, if I, if I use this tone, maybe this, maybe it'll get me this. And if I do this, maybe it'll get me this. I mean, we, we were, we, we, (laughs) we had absolutely no chance against that kind of, that kind of, um, sort of manipulation coming at us we just didn't we were young we were impressionable we were you know kids today or not like they were when in in my day like you know there there weren't cell phones there were we were much younger we were much less sophisticated and all of these points rumors not being addressed by the school a lack of information and technology and the toxic highly competitive environment all contributed to a teacher allegedly abusing his position of power for decades The whole reason why this case came to light in the first place was because these women started reaching out to each other. Notably, Serena McCarroll left a comment on a Royal Winnipeg Ballet alumni board, stating that she had pursued photography post-ballet school and drawing the irony in that considering how traumatic her photoshoot experience was with Bruce Monk, although she did not reference him by his full name but rather his initials. And she did so to throw a fish hook out there and see if anyone had had a similar experience with him and was ready to talk about it. And lo and behold, two women did reach out. 
one of which being the woman mentioned at the beginning of this episode, who wasn't ready at the time to speak out, but when she saw the Amanda Todd case and the similarities, went to the police with Serena McCarroll in 2012 to file the first police reports. But even then, when they did reach out to police with these photographs, they found, again, that they were the ones who had to do something about it. Well, and even, you know, when, when, when we found those photos and sort of realized what they were, like, holy shit, look at this. So we, you know, we recognized some people, some people we didn't. Um, I, I immediately took the, the, the my, I took my computer and I went down to the cops and I said, okay, here you go. Look at this. You know, this is this is what we just found. Um, and they basically said, unless these women in these photographs can identify themselves and then come to the cops and say, OK, well, this is me. And I didn't um, I didn't consent to to this. There's nothing we can do. It's fishing expedition. So unless these women come forward, which basically meant that we were taxed with having to contact the women saying this is what we found online and this is what you can do should you choose to, to pursue this. So. You know, that's doing the cop's job is sort of how I felt now. They called it a fishing expedition, and I suppose the law is these kind of things. But when, when what am I going to do? I'm sitting on a cache of 80, of 80 photos, and I know that that's not all of them. What am I supposed to do? Right? So uh, we decided that, okay, well, we're going to have to contact these women to help them out there because it's the only thing we can do. We have to let them know. Right. Even though it's going to trigger people, it's going to re-traumatize people, it's going to it's going to, you know, make their lives chaotic, completely chaotic again. And it did. It really did. You know, there was there's women who, who thought that they were the only ones. And so they have lived with this guilt and this 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 feeling of being dirty and and of doing something wrong for 30 years of their lives, only to find out that they were, in fact, just one of many. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's. And you're the one who has to deliver that news to them. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, it was, it just made sense that it was me. I don't know them. So it's easier for me to talk to people that you don't know. It's easier to deliver that kind of information to somebody that you don't know. You're just, you're just someone in passing. But, you know, I mean, I, I was, it was very delicate. I had to let people know, you know, I sent them emails and, Ah, I mean, how do you do that? How do you how do you tell somebody something like that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was it was it was really it was it was not it was not fun, but 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 necessary, you know, and just what had to be done. And the more the period of 2012, when the first police reports were made to early 2015, many developments came in the case from other women filing police reports investigations being opened by the Internet Child Exploitation Unit at the Winnipeg Police Services, Serena McCarroll contacting Bruce Monk herself, asking for her photos back, as well as a search warrant being issued to search Bruce Monk's apartment. Shortly after that, the Royal Winnipeg Ballet, when they found out that that investigation was ongoing, put Bruce Monk on paid leave. However, at the same time that Sarah Doucette talks about being tasked with reaching out to the women, Serena McCarroll felt that they had to turn to the media. I, I found the journalist um, when I realized the police weren't really going to do anything. And um, they had basically told, there was only two of us at the very beginning who had filed police reports. And we were basically told there's nothing they could do. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to find a journalist because that's, 
the next thing that could maybe change things. And um, I found uh, Nicholas, and we didn't know that he would write for Maclean's at the time. He was just an, an independent journalist. Um, and we happened, like, someone knew his sister. So there, there was some sort of link that I ended up contacting him. But amidst all of the positive media reaction that they were getting and getting their story out there, Serena noticed that the writing of the McLean's article was a little off. He like he didn't do anything wrong in his direct treatment of me or anyone else. Like he was very kind and sensitive and stuff, but and who knows now that I've experienced writing and how much editing there is who knows where decisions were made and when, but I know when the article came out, I was really bothered by the way they titled it and the way it was like, I guess shared on social media with scandal in the, at the ballet or whatever. Um, that just like, for me, I was like, this is a story about abuse and like, a major Canadian institution and abuse of children and you're calling it a scandal and I was just like who's gonna read something called scandal at the bat like that's not the audience that I would want for this kind of story like the fact that we were ballet students isn't really the point and I didn't like the word scandal so I was immediately felt I just remember having the sinking feeling and I couldn't even read it for a couple weeks and then when I finally did read it the thing for me personally was just that it starts with me um, and he writes up until the point where he says something about my bodysuit being down I can't remember exactly but uh, I know it sort of sounds just like I was topless and then there's like it goes on to other parts of the story for like a long time before he comes back to my story and sort of explains that I was still covering myself, which I just sort of felt like I was being used in a way to like grab people's attention and to plant this thought of a topless girl. I don't, it just made me feel horrible. Um, I mean, also, you know, it was my face on the cover, which I agreed to, but um, they, like this, I couldn't do anything about either. When they told me what photo they were going to use on the cover, it wasn't the photo they used. And I think that was just miscommunicate. Like, I don't think they did that on purpose, but I agreed to a photo that was less obviously me, like it was a bit blurrier. Um, and then when I saw the cover, it was, I'm like, that's not the photo they said they were going to use. And they obviously just, someone forgot to tell, I don't know what happened, but I didn't even tell them, say anything to them about that. Cause it just, there was no point. Um, but it was jarring. So yeah, I think, I think I just didn't know how it would feel to have that out there. Obviously, it's not a normal experience. And I started feeling really paranoid because I realized I had no idea who had read it and who hadn't. And I could tell people were being weird with me sometimes. And 
it was just too much. And I, like I went and I stayed with my sister in Calgary for a long time. Mm. Yeah. I, I think I actually have the McLean's article open here and I couldn't find exactly. Okay. So it says, so he writes about me for a few paragraphs. And then the last sentence is minutes after Monk took the exposures, McCarroll says the top of her bodysuit came down. So that's unclear. And in my mind, anyone who reads that is picturing a topless girl. And um, then he just, I think he talks about the police investigation. Um, and then he talks about Bruce. And um, he talks about, you know, how I went to the police and a bunch of stuff. And then he doesn't pick it up for a long time saying that how, like, my arms were across my chest, even though my bodysuit was down. I was still covered, which for me, it was important for that to be clear. <laughs> like, because in that moment, it was so important to me that I was still covering myself. So just, just to be clear, Bruce Monk mm -hmm. never got any photos of you with your arms down. No, he never did. Okay, sorry, this is an important piece. Um, I, I yeah. got the interpretation from that article, too, that you were one of the ones who had photos taken exposed but that is an interesting detail that you kept your arms up the entire time. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I, I know that the girls who, who he did convince them to get their arms down, they didn't do anything wrong. Like it's, but it was different for me also because my mom was right behind me. Like I just was in a very different situation. And I remember being so paralyzed with fear and not wanting to do what he wanted me to do, but not wanting to alarm my mother. And I definitely did not drop my arms. He does not have photos of me like where I'm exposed. Mm -hmm. um, it was right at that moment that my mother stood up. Like it was when he, my memory is him saying, Serena, drop your arms over and over because I wouldn't do it. And he would just softly repeat himself. And I just was sitting there paralyzed. And then my mom stands up and starts to walk over. And then he motions for me to turn around, like really frantically. And she's walking up. And what she sees is that I, like I'd only turned around by the time with my back towards him by the time she could see me and I was pulling up my bodysuit on with my back towards him, but she could fully see me. Um, so that's how she knew that something bad had happened. Cause obviously I was pulling <laughs> up my bodysuit. So it hadn't been all the way up. So that's all she saw was me frantically pulling up my bodysuit. Mm -hmm. And also obviously it was weird that as soon as she steps up, the photo shoot is over. Like, it was so obvious yeah. um but he's so calm like the whole time he is so calm and like very good at being authoritative and like he's very good at just like his his voice he doesn't raise his voice he doesn't act you know anxious or anything like he's just smooth and it was so smooth him going from me doing something that made sense because he's taking a headshot and I'd seen headshots where ballet dancers have this like bare neckline and you don't see below their chest so it sort of has that uh, the look of maybe that they don't have anything on but that's not the point and you don't see anything and that's what he makes you think is happening 
because he keeps saying, oh, it would be better if the strap wasn't in the way. Can you pull it under your arm? And like, oh, I still see it. And he's like, just just keep your arms crossed and we'll lower it a little bit. And so he, the whole, and, and also that whole time he's like, oh, can you can, can you lower it a little bit? But turn around, like turn around. So he's pretending that he's being discreet with you when two minutes later he's going to tell you to drop your arms like is a total like mind game Mm -hmm. and um so yeah that like that's definitely and i tried with the walrus to show because it's really easy to find headshots of dancers that are exactly what he made people think was happening where you see like because a collarbone on a ballet dancer is like a thing like dancers wear body suits and you see their shoulders and their collarbone and like that's all a part of the aesthetic so it makes sense to have that showing in a headshot um but that's how he did what he did like he blurred that line where you think one thing is happening and then all of a sudden it's like a bait and switch and he's saying drop your arms which makes no sense because i'm not there for a topless shot like at all yeah and i know every girl who went in there did not go in there for that but he's saying it in such a calm authoritative way like of course this is what we're here for like and also like he's not doing anything wrong he's not you know being mean or even creepy even though it's so creepy it's hard to explain but um, he's making you feel like you're not doing your job as if yeah. you should have known coming into this yeah and also just not giving you time to even it's it's just really like psychologically so confusing because you don't expect that to happen at all and he does it so calmly and so smoothly and you're like you just feel trapped and especially because you're alone with this man and like felt safe going in thought you knew what you were going in for and then he does this really slow thing and um yeah uh so i think i sort of felt like when i read the article like it almost the way it was written was doing that to me again like exposed or someone trying to make me feel exposed or like kind of doing a bait and switch because the reader i felt like they're led to believe that topless photos are taken of me when they weren't so it just felt like the same thing was happening all over again in a weird way. Like the the idea of a topless girl was being used to lure readers. And this is important, not because there should be a huge differentiation in the nature of what happened between her and these other women, because it's all wrong. Nor is it about shaming this particular journalist, because if you read through the McLean's article, it is full of great information and storytelling. The thing that she is drawing attention to, one of the ways the media failed them and contributed to the perpetuation of the abuse, is that as a journalist, you choose what you bring attention to with your words. And that calm, insistent, predatory demeanor that Sarah and Serena have both touched on could have been emphasized. That moment could have been dramatized very easily in the writing, but instead the picture that was emphasized and brought attention to was that of a child with their top down. Another publication that failed to serve the story in a smaller way was an article published in The Guardian 
that drew out a storyline of this case and stated that after years of whispers, the women spoke out in 2015, when in reality, the moment that these women started trying to hold this person and this institution accountable was in 2005, when Bruce Monk walked into the store Serena McCarroll was working in. In 2005, he happened to come into a place where I worked in Vancouver, like just out of the blue. I hadn't seen him since, basically since what happened um, with him. And then he walks in and I'm an adult and I worked in a photo store. I had gone to school and studied photography and then I worked in this photo store in Vancouver and I didn't know he had, I guess he has family in BC, which is why he ended up there. So he walks in and I had this moment where I'm an adult. What happened happened years ago and I was just flooded with fear. Like I knew it was him instantly. I know he saw me, but he like was going to a different department than the one I worked in. So he just went to where he was going, but he did like a double take. And I had to leave my desk and go into my manager's office and she had all the like all the monitors where all the cameras were in the store so I could watch where he was. And I told her there's someone in the store that is upsetting to me. And if it's OK, I just want to wait here until he leaves. And she was a great manager. So she was like, OK. And I just watched him on the monitors until he left the store. And then I went back to my job. But I don't know that I would have ever done anything if I hadn't as an adult experienced him again and realized like he's still out there and had to sort of reckon with that fear again. And then he came back again, like he then he tried to email me. He came to the store again and went straight to my desk and brought up photos. And so I wasn't allowed to ignore it anymore. I just wasn't allowed to. And it was right then when I was like, he can't, continue this like I know he's still doing it I just knew and um, I immediately tried to figure out a way to find other people who he had done this to because I felt certain that there was many girls out there and so that started in 2005 and I heard back from one girl who was the girl who ended up going to police with me in 2012 but she first wrote me in 2005 so that's what prompted her to write on that alumni board. So the fact that those three years were skipped over, let alone the seven before that, erases years of tiring work and fighting for justice. After this case became public, Monk was fired from the ballet in 2015. In March of 2016 was when it officially became known that no charges would be laid. The women that were trying to criminally charge him attended the Royal Winnipeg Ballet pre-1993. And 1993 was when child pornography laws, the prohibition of photography of underage people for sexual purposes, was passed in Canada. So there was nothing to charge him with. Less, I mean, one of the reasons why they told us they weren't going to prosecute this when we went to the Crown was because they said it was too historical. Mm-hmm. And that there were no child pornography laws in place, which only came into, into effect in 93. So before that, there was actually nothing to charge him with. 
so 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 you know the 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 system wasn't set up to protect us and how are we you know so so but we're supposed to protect ourselves when we don't even understand the the breadth of what we're dealing with and after all the dust had settled all the articles came out and they lost the criminal case even though the fact that he was fired from the ballet isn't enough and so these women looked to a different course which was a class action lawsuit I just realized that if I if if we let it go that it was going to die. And I knew that I couldn't do that. I knew that 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 he had just affected too many people and that it affected too many lives and that the ballet had gotten away with way too much for me to just let it go. So I took all the information I had. I took the article that we did at McLean's. I took everything I had and I went to um some really amazing lawyers that I that I had come across and took it to them and said this is this is this is what i have and i don't know what to do but i don't i can't stop here because that, otherwise they get they get away with it and they took it to their to the other um to the other lawyers in the in the firm and they said you have a class a class action lawsuit do you want to do this and i said no but yes <laughs> i don't but i will and that's really all you know and that's that's and how long- i'm i you know so yeah. how long have you been in this class action lawsuit for? How long has it kind of dragged on for? Well, let's see. I, uh, it's, I think it's been since 2014 or 15 since all of this came up. I, I can't remember exactly when we filed, but you can certainly find it. Um, like a lot of this information is actually on the the Margaret Waddell's website. Like they, I don't know if you poked around in there, but you can get all the lawsuits you can find out what's active. You can find out all kinds of stuff. So you'll have all of like the dates and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, That's still there. a long time to put yourself in that position. So good on you, because five years could not be easy. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No, and it and it and it hasn't been easy. You know, like there's the 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 re trauma the re traumatization that happens when you bring this stuff up again is very very real, and it has had a profound effect on me. Um, and, you know, took a large chunk of my life for a long time. I, I, it drove a wedge between me and my family. Um, I, I suffered a breakdown. Uh, there's, you know, it, it took a lot, a lot, a lot out of me. Um, at the same time, that's just part of my path and I'm a lot stronger now. And I have two really good therapists and I have... Um, three of the best friends that anybody could ask for who, who supported me through everything. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, I look (laughs) much older than I did four years ago, but whatever, you know? Yeah. That's always the, um, the sacrifice. I do that too. Every time I cry, I get a new wrinkle and it's like, (laughs) it's like, which I have to choose. It's a very (laughs) difficult. I know. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I was diagnosed with PTSD um, and, and, you know, looking at these photographs of all these young dancers and realizing that the, the scenario in which most of those, if, well, if not all, not all, because I've heard that some people have definitely, definitely, you know, did those photos knowing what they were getting into. But for the girls that didn't know, you look at those photos and you can see it and it's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. Serena McCarroll decided to tell her story herself in an article she wrote for The Walrus in 2019 
titled Why I Decided to Join a Class Action Against the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. The thing that I appreciated about her email is that she, or about about that article was that she really she has she has such a great way with words. I have a terrible way with words, um, and she she really she really sort of nailed the, the the sort of environment that you're in. You know the fact that you and you know this as as a as a dancer, a former dancer yourself, that you know you're you go in and you're with your bun and your pink tights and your black bodysuit and you are in their hands and and. You do and say everything they ask and and demand, and you don't you don't not. Otherwise, why are you there, right? And if you don't want to do it, then then you wouldn't be there. It's too hard. You know these these supposed people that are supposed to be there to take care of us and and protect us and help us grow and and you know nurture us are are have become our enemies, right? They've become these people that can hurt us. So now we have like. You're, you're sort of suspect of the entire world, right? You, you, you don't believe authority. You don't believe you, 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 I mean, think about it, right? Like it's, it's, you just, you, your trust level is gone. Your trust level is gone. So, so, you know, there are instances when, when I was working with people where I was working with particular male dancers where I had a really sort of hard time with it. And I look back now and I go, right, but I was triggered. Yeah. I was having a hard time because they were taking up too much space or they were talking to me inappropriately or they weren't being considered. And I didn't know how to put the words to that because I didn't have the words, because we didn't have words like trigger, because we didn't really know what grooming was, because we didn't know all these things. We do now. We do now. And it's starting to come to light. But you're just so, you know, I was the hysterical one. I was the dramatic one. I was all of these things, all these. And I see it now. I'm like, oh, yeah, you were one. You were one. Oh, I remember her. She is one. And now it's so easy to spot that at the time, we're just we're just a bunch of hysterical female dancers. Yeah. Right? But there's history there. And our bodies are reminding us of that every single day. Currently, Sarah Doucette, Serena McCarroll, and approximately 70 former students are in the midst of a class action lawsuit against Bruce Monk and the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. You would think that this would be the end of this story, but it's not. In 2017, news started to be made that Bruce Monk was working here in Victoria at a ballet. We are going to discuss who hired him, the backlash, and just how close to home this story hits in the next episode of Taking Up Space. This episode of Taking Up Space was produced by me, Sarah Solomon. I would like to thank the women that spoke to me to make this episode happen, Sarah Doucette and Serena McCarroll.